friends, and welcome back to episode 22 of She Existed, the podcast wherein I, Ashlyn Romagnoli, share the story of a woman of history and or legend previously unknown to me. It has been a long few weeks here in the Romagnoli Lofbaum household. As you know from most definitely tuning into my previous episode, we moved to Turin, Torino as they call it here, and then I did what I always do when I move somewhere new obsess over the place and devour it incessantly, as though like sheer volume of sights and sounds and smells can make up for simple time spent in a place, which, spoiler alert, is not true, but doesn't stop me from going to as many events as possible, meeting as many people as possible, and just generally trying to figure out, Turin, what is? It has been awesome. Turin is awesome. The Torinese are awesome. But for someone who is naturally quite introverted, I know no one actually believes this about me, but it is it is true. I enjoy socializing, I enjoy people, but it drains the hell out of me. So this is this has all been quite a lot. And then on top of that, uh, we decided that since we aren't that far away, we would try during this weird limbo of a like not quite COVID restricted, but not quite normal time to visit what is one of, if not the ultimate honeymoon destination. Venice. Basically, Adam and I have been calling every new place we visited together since we got married a honeymoon. Uh, I think we've been on like five honeymoons now. But Venice is sort of the uh, honeymoon white whale, if you think about it. It's like, uh, duh, the obvious place to celebrate wedded bliss, but it's also sort of mysterious and uncertain if the end result is going to be exactly what you thought it would be. Uh, I'm not sure if that's, like, how most people use the term white whale, which usually you just use to, like, indicate something elusive, which Venice is definitely not. It's very obvious. But I'm thinking on more, like, a conceptual level is, like, the thing you desire and the fact that, like, you have to be careful what you wish for. I mean, we all know what happens to Ahab, right? Uh, so, like, I'm always kind of weirded out when someone posts, like, a vintage D&G dress online being like, oh my god, I found my white whale, because I'm like, what, you derailed your whole life obsessing over this dress only to have it inevitably drag you into the abyss? Anyway, Venice is a stunning, stunning place, no doubt about it, but it's often jam-packed with people, and we weren't sure if it was possible to see anything real underneath the tourist veneer. Like, how could Venice possibly live up to its own hype? But the only way to find out is to go, and we figured we'd have a good chance of seeing something real during this strange, liminal moment. And it absolutely fucking slapped. But this podcast is not about, well, it's not supposed to be about me and my adventures, so I guess just go follow my personal Instagram if you want to see and read all about that. But one thing Venice did give us is today's episode subject, Giustina Rossi. I love, love, love this story. In many ways, it is the She Existed story. Justina is practically like a legendary mythological figure, shrouded in mystery with a story you'd definitely think was apocryphal if it wasn't so well recorded that we know that it, it happened. The other thing that I love is that Justina wasn't a noble woman or anyone history would typically think of as a mover or shaker or influential, really. She was just a woman, and she did a little thing that utterly changed the course of Venetian history. And frankly, for a reasonably long time on this earth, if you changed Venetian history, you changed world history. Okay, 
So the year is 1310, which is really in the thick of the Venetian Republic, which was also known as La Serenissima, or the Serene. We're talking just a breath before the Renaissance, which gave us so much amazing art and culture and history, it just boggles the mind. Now, I've mentioned many times before that Italy is a country that is uh, barely a country because it's so full of such diverse and rich counties and cities, each with their own culture, history, language, and Venice is definitely one such perfect example. The Republic of Venice existed from 697 BCE until 1797. That is 1,100 years exactly. And as you probably know, it was an incredibly wealthy and powerful state, as Venice was one of the biggest and best trading ports in Italy, which, despite having a lot of coastline, does not have a ton of great natural harbors. In addition, Venice was very defensible, as in the old days there was really only one feasible entrance to the bay from the sea that bigger ships could actually make it through. So if you only have like one point that big ships can get through, you can keep your eyes on that point and make sure that no one you don't want slips through. So they had a kind of funky governmental system happening throughout most of the era of the Republic of Venice. The state was ruled by a dude called the Doge, who was elected, but also ruled for life. So I find this juxtaposition super interesting, and I imagine it made things super spicy anytime a doge died, as the oligarchs, who were mostly merchants, very wealthy merchants and aristocrats, could vie for power to see who would be elected next. Like any monarch, dying is a dangerous time, of course, um, you can read all about that in fascinating English history especially, but usually there are pretty strict rules of succession. I mean, sometimes they got ignored, and obviously there's always a lot of intrigue going on, but there's something like really extra about the idea of being able to actually elect the next doge for life. I feel like it would kind of encourage even more like resentment and scheming among the powerful ruling classes. Like, it's not your fault if you're not the king because you just don't have the right blood, you weren't born into the right family, but if you actually have a shot and don't make it, well, maybe you and your family just suck kind of puts the onus right back on you, I think, which adds to a lot of pressure. So I think you can maybe understand why, unsurprisingly, there were a lot of salty Venetian nobles. One, uh, Bahamonte Tiepolo, for instance, and by the way, um, everyone always says that like Italian doesn't have a J, and I encounter the J all the time, and it's usually an influence from Arabic or another country, but anyway, it, it's there. So Bajamonte is his name. We're going to call him Baj, because why not? Um, he was the grandson of the doge Lorenzo Tiepolo, so like a big legacy to live up to there for Baj. And like hell, his wife was the princess of Russia, which I honestly have no idea where that is. But she was a princess, so that counts for something. Baj has to be starting with some pretty heavy entitlement here, which probably primed him to be the perfect person to rebel against the doge of his time. You see, Doge Gradenigo had pissed a lot of people off. He enacted a law called the Locking of the Great Council of Venice, which restricted membership to the Great Council, um, like basically to descendants of people who had already been members of the Great Council previously, so like really narrowing the scope of who could be part of said Great Council, and then he got involved in a war with Pope Clement V, who excommunicated the entire Republic of Venice over a disagreement about the control of Ferrara. 
Now, in those days, remember, the papacy was sort of its own state, its own entity, which led to all kinds of weird shenanigans. It's like, imagine being a ruler, but in addition to all of, like, the shit you can actually physically do to someone, you can also be like, and God is not on your side. So anyway, the Pope is basically telling all Christians at this point that they can't trade with Venice or, well, Hellfire. So this is a pretty big deal at the time. So Baj, as we're going to call him, as I said, got his friends and family, um, all other very wealthy nobles, to agree to attempt to depose said Doge. And he sets up a whole coup situation, really just like gives it everything. And on June 15th, 1310, his loyalists are running through the streets of Venice, like rioting, looting. They even set fire to the Rialto Bridge at some point. And uh, after all of this excitement, just like, yay, we're going to go depose the Doge, they paused to regroup not far from the Doge's palace behind the big clock tower. I mean, like, I get it. You want to take a minute and make sure you're like really, really, really ready before you storm a palace, right? Well, unfortunately for these dudes, Justina, uh, the star of our podcast, was minding her own business, probably like grinding some herbs, cooking, preparing stuff, whatever. Uh, and she hears their commotion outside. So she pokes her head out of the window. And while we don't know if it was on purpose or by accident, in doing so, she drops the mortar that she was using that like basically catapults down onto the head of Baja's standard bearer. Now, I don't know if you use a mortar and pestle at home, but they are really, really heavy because they're used to pulverize stuff. And pulverize is probably a word you could use to describe what happened to the standard bearer's head. And he died immediately. Now, I would definitely feel like this was a pretty bad omen for the rebellion. I mean, a standard bearer is a person who's literally, like, carrying your flag, like, kind of your hype man of the rebellion. And, like, apparently Baj felt that way, too. So he immediately retreated and bye-bye end of rebellion. So the Doge, who is super grateful, asks Justina what she wants in return for her service to Venice, because she kind of saved the Republic in a way, or at least the Doge's Republic. And she just asks for her rent to be frozen forever for her and her descendants. And one source I read uh, actually said for her and her daughters. I don't know if that was just like flowery language or whatever, but also to be able to display a Venetian banner on feast days. Now, This seems like a pretty reasonable set of asks for her service, so they were both granted. And as far as I could find out, until the end of the Republic, the rent in that apartment was never raised, and it was lived in by her descendants. So, (laughs) let's pause for just one moment and appreciate Justina's humility here. So, I personally feel like she could have asked for, like, no rent ever, and that would still have been pretty reasonable. I mean, like, she did, like, intentionally or not, she did quell a rebellion. But no, just uh, plain old-fashioned rent control for Justina. And this strikes me as being extremely Italian somehow. Like, I feel like telling the story to an American, or as an American telling the story, I'm like, why didn't they cancel rent, huh? Whereas I feel like my Italian friends would be like, yeah, I mean, she, like, probably didn't do it on purpose, and she wasn't in any actual danger. So a simple freeze feels commensurate to the action, because, alas, there is no free lunch. But anyway, just cultural differences there. Okay, so rebellion over, right? Nope, not exactly. Baja's house was destroyed, and they made, like, this... (laughs) 
salty plaque of warning that was erected on a column at the site of his former family home. And Baj himself was exiled. But wait, there's more. From exile, Baj sends a henchman to destroy the column, which almost succeeded. But then that failed too, and then Baj was permanently exiled, and then we, like, never heard from him again. But this whole failed plot thing directly led to the creation of the Council of Ten, which was originally formed as, like, a temporary measure to prevent the whole, like, nobles plotting against the Doge and, like, evil conspiracies thing. But what actually happened is that it became a huge, huge, important and permanent part of Venetian government from this time forward. So the Council of Ten consisted of elected members, kind of like the Doge, but it had some really interesting restrictions. So no more than one member of a family could serve on the council at once. So that means like you can't have, you know, Baj and his evil twin brother uh, conspiring together on this council. Only one per family. You could also only serve one year. And you could not serve successive terms. So if you serve a year, then you have to be off for at least a year before you can come back, which in theory kind of limits how much nefarious plotting you can do in a longer term. And, you know, they didn't have the internet back then, so it probably took longer to enact evil plots. Um, This council had the ability to act super quickly. It had access to, like, all kinds of, like, secret, like, undocumented funds. And it was so powerful that by 1457, it had almost unlimited authority over nearly all Venetian governmental affairs. And all because of a mortar dropped by a cranky old lady who is called to this day La Vecchia del Mortaio, the old lady of the mortar. So that's it for this week. A simple act by a common old woman who would otherwise have been entirely forgotten changed the course of history. I can't help but think of all the similar stories like this one that we don't know, you know? How many chance meetings, accidental incidences, or unintentional actions have truly changed the world? History is not made by great men. History is built brick by brick by every person who lives. Now, not everyone is a keystone, but what purpose would the keystone have without the rest of the wall and arches? Giustina Rossi existed, and she did some stuff. Here's what you might want to look up. Republic of Venice, obviously. Like, Google the buildings in Venice and how they made them, because learning how they built the city is, like, fascinating. Doge is spelled D-O-G-E, Council of Ten, weird stories there for sure, and Mortar and Pestle. Okay, I know this sounds really weird, but I think it's worth like looking into this tool. Did you know that we humans have literally used a Mortar and Pestle with almost no modification to the design of this tool since the Stone Age? I mean, come on. Oh, and Baba Yaga used to fly in one of those instead of a broom. Fun fact. Anyway. Thanks for listening and have an awesome week.